There's this video game called Civilizations. It's a series of games that was released in 1991, and the last one was released in 2016. There could have been more since 2016, but that's what I know. Civilization, as a video game, uses historical aspects from the development of humankind's civilizations and turns that take place over time scale that starts with the dawn of civilization millennia before 1 AD and continues through the present time and goes beyond that. On each turn, players oversee their civilization's government, determine what technology, culture, and civics the civilization should develop, engage in, and the diplomacy that it should conduct with other civilizations by setting their own production and placing improvements within their own cities and moving their civilizational units across the game's world map, often engaging in combat with other civilizations and units. To me, that sums up the nuts and bolts, right? A game, victory, humans going for victory over a long period of time, tech, culture, civics, diplomacy, cities, maps, and of course, violence. Although that's a nice, rough and ready description, the idea of civilizing has chopped and changed over the centuries. A complex society is a concept that is shared by a whole bunch of disciplines, including anthropology, archaeology, history, sociology, and what it does is describes a stage of social formation. Now, this complex society is characterized by a few features, such as a state with a large population wherein the economy is structured according to specialization and a division of labor. But here's the critical part. These economic features spawn a bureaucratic class and it institutionalizes inequality. So, civilization and red tape civilization and inequality kind of go hand in hand. Also, archaeologically, features such as big architectural projects are part of civilization, as are burial rites. If you see that, it's a sign of civilization where, of course, burial happens. Another one, large-scale agricultural development, and it allows members of society, therefore, time for other specialized skill sets because other people are doing the agriculture, growing their food, etc. So you don't have to, and you can focus on something else, like building something like a monument. And another one is organized political structures. Yes, I know, not all complex societies bury their dead or even bury them in any elaborate way, but we do need a broad, all-encompassing definition. Don't we? I think we do. Anyway. In short, a complex society has a big population where many people specialize in their day-to-day -day jobs. There is a bureaucratic class where inequality, yes, boys and girls, yes, inequality is institutionalized. In addition, these humans bury their dead. Well, sometimes they bury their dead, but they all build elaborate infrastructure and buildings or monuments. Coupled with that, these civilized humans engage in industrial-scale farming that allows others to focus not on food attainment, but other skills. Finally, civilized peoples organize themselves in fancy 
no doubt corrupt, political structures. So there you have it. Civilized peoples. But wait, it's not that simple. Because civilization has a tad more going for it, though. Yes, to be civil, one needs to hit all these important points. But civilizations are intimately associated with additional characteristics, such as centralization, the domestication of plant and animal species, including you humans, specialization of labor, culturally ingrained ideologies of so-called progress, monumental architectures, dreaded that dreaded taxation, societal dependence on farming, and expansionism. The English word civilization comes from the 16th century French civilize, from the Latin civilis, related to civics or citizen, and civitas or city. So by this beautiful definition, if you are listening to this from a rural location, then consider yourself immediately not civilized. The civilizing process is a book. Yes, the civilizing process is a book by German sociologist Norbert Elias. Covering European history from roughly 800 AD to 1900 AD, it is the first formal analysis and theory of civilization. Elias proposes a double sociogenesis of the state. The social development of the state has two sides, a mental and a political side. The civilizational process that Elias describes results in a profound change in behavior. It leads to the construction of the modern state and transition of man from the warrior of the Middle Ages to the civil man of the end of the 19th century. The first version was published in 1939, after the horrors of World War I and on the eve of World War II so I'm not sure exactly what he means by progress. Social scientists such as Gordon Child have named several traits that distinguish a civilization from other kinds of society. Civilizations have been distinguished by their means of subsistence, types of livelihoods, settlement patterns, forms of government, social stratification, economic systems, literacy, and other cultural traits. I will state here, that none of these civilizations grew without ample slavery to mine, work fields, and do just about anything else. Civilized peoples have other important traits too. They have a ruling class, an elite, also known as the deep state. The educated you understand, that's these people. The people you understand, or should understand, who tell you what to do but don't need to do it themselves. You know, these people, those people, the hypocrites, the corrupt, them, not us. I personally think there are four main types of societies. There's the hunter-gatherer society, and they band together, which, and they have a group that is generally legatarian and people have jobs, they do what they have to do. Then you have a pastoral society, where societies are there in generally two inherited social classes, the chief and a commoner. And then you have a chiefdom, which is slightly level up, where you have several inherited social classes. It's different from the pastoral, because it's inherited. Then you have a king, 
noble freemen, serfs, slaves, and everyone kind of has their place in society. And lastly, the almighty civilization with complex social hierarchies and organized institutional governments. Civilized societies and civilized peoples allow other people in the civilized society to accumulate more personal possessions. Some people also acquire landed property or private ownership of the land. Because a percentage of people living in civilizations do not grow their own food, they must trade their goods and services for food in a market system or receive food through the levy of tribute, redistributed taxation, tariffs, or tithes from the food-producing segment of the population. Early human cultures functioned through a gift economy supplemented by limited barter systems. By the early Iron Age, contemporary civilizations developed money as a medium of exchange for increasingly complex transactions. In a village, the potter makes a pot for the brewer, and the brewer compensates the potter by giving him a certain amount of beer. In a city, the potter may need a roof. The roofer may need new shoes. The cobbler may need new horseshoes. The blacksmith may need a new coat, and the tanner may need a new pot. These people may not be personally acquainted with one another, and their needs may not occur all at the same time. A monetary system is a way of organizing these obligations to ensure that they are fulfilled. And from the days of the earliest monetized civilizations, monopolistic controls of monetary systems have benefited the social and political elites. Sign of civilization. In other words, trade and capital are also the traits of the civilized. Conversely, so are those on the wrong end of trade and capital, i.e., you and I, the plebs of society. Writing, developed first by people in Sumer, is considered a hallmark of civilization and appears to accompany the rise of complex administrative bureaucracies or of the conquest state. Traders and bureaucrats relied on writing to keep accurate records. Like money, the writing was necessitated by the size of the population of a city and the complexity of its commerce among people who are not all personally acquainted with one another. However, writing is not always necessary for civilization, as shown by the Inca civilization of the Andes, which did not use writing at all, but except for a complex recording system consisting of chords and notes. Oh, but there is more. Civilizations have developed many other diverse cultural traits. These include things like religion, development of the arts, and countless advances in science and technology, and I use the word advances lightly. Importantly, successful civilizations have spread, taking over more and more territory and assimilating more and more previously uncivilized peoples. Let's face it, civilization has been spread by colonization, imperialism, invasion, religious conversion, the extension of bureaucratic control, trade, and by introducing agriculture and writing to non-literate peoples. Some non-civilized people may be willing or willingly adapt to civilized behavior, but civilization is also spread by technical, material, and social dominance. In other words, the base assumption that a civilized person 
is in fact, according to them, superior to an uncivil person and that the uncivil individual should aspire in turn to become civilized because they're not. High-ranking, highly esteemed members of civil society do look down on the uncivil and have done since the dawn of civilization itself. Even today, we celebrate human civilization. We look up to the Akkadians, we look up to the ancient Greeks, or we look up to the ancient Egyptians. Wow, they were great civilizations. Indeed, key terms often used for this uncivil are barbarians, savages, or primitive. British historian Arnold J. Toynbee, whom I would consider highly civil, explored civilization processes in his multi-volume book or books, A Study of History, which traced the rise and in most cases the decline of 21 odd civilizations and five arrested civilizations, whatever that means. Civilizations generally declined and fell, according to Toynbee, because of the failure of a creative minority through moral or religious decline to meet some important challenge rather than man economic or environmental causes. These 21 or so major civilizations, according to Toynbee, or at least how he sees it, are Egyptian, Andean, Sumerian, Babylonian, Hittite, Minoan, Indic, Hindu, Syriac, Hellenic, Western Orthodox, Christian, having two branches, the main or Byzantine and then the Russian, then Far Eastern, uh, with the two branches there being Chinese, Korean, and Japanese. He also has talked about Persian, Arabic, Mayan, Mexican, and Yucatec. He said there are three abortive civilizations, abortive Far Western Christian, abortive Far Eastern Christian, and abortive Scandinavian. And he also said there were five arrested civilizations, Polynesian, Eskimo, Nomadic, Ottoman, Spartan, for about 27 or 29 or so civilizations. I don't know. It's just, uh, it's got a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff there. Then there is the American historian Samuel P. Huntington, who defined civilization as the highest cultural grouping of people and the broadest level of cultural identity people have, short of that which distinguishes humans from other species, which is a very bold statement. Civilized humans or civilized persons contend that their civilizations should be seen as complex networks of cities that emerge from pre-urban cultures and are defined by the economic, political, military, diplomatic, social, and cultural interactions among them. Extensive trade routes, including stuff like the Silk Road through Central Asia and the Indian Ocean Sea routes linking the Roman Empire, Persian Empire, India, and China, were well-established 2,000 or so years ago when these civilizations scarcely shared any political, diplomatic, military, or cultural relations. Interestingly, the notion of world history as sort of a progression or succession of civilizations is an entirely modern concept. In the European ages of discovery, emerging modernity was put into stark contrast with the Neolithic and the Mesolithic stage of the cultures of many of the peoples they encountered. Indeed, according to Huntington, conflicts between civilizations 
will supplant the conflicts between nation-states and ideologies that characterized the 19th and 20th centuries. He called it the clash of civilizations. These views have been strongly challenged by others like Edward Said, Mohammed Asadi, and Amit Sen. I want to spend a moment here to introduce the Kardashev scale. This is a method of measuring a civilization's level of technological advancement based on the amount of energy it is able to use. The measure was proposed by Soviet astronomer Nikolai Kardashev in 1964. The scale is hypothetical and regards energy consumption on a cosmic scale. So this is big picture stuff, people. Various extensions of the scale have since been proposed, including a wider range of power levels and the use of metrics other than pure power. The scale has three distinguished or designated categories, and these are so A type 1 civilization, also called a planetary civilization, and can use and store all the energy available on its planet. A type 2 civilization, also can be called a stellar civilization, can use and control energy at the scale of its planetary system. And a type 3 civilization, also called a galactic civilization, can control energy at the scale of its entire host galaxy. This Theory goes into more detail with lots of equations well beyond my mental capacity to understand or even explain. All you need to know, I reckon, is that the humans, we, are type 1 species, only able to control energy at the planetary level. And that makes us very similar to a zebra, a hippo, or even chicken. That brings me on to my next point. Civilization may as well, or indeed by default is, should be relative. So Paris in 2022 BC, 100 BC, 300 AD, or 2022 AD are not the same civilizationally. Or are they? Does time play a role? Do other factors play a role? Paris today gives its inhabitants running clean water, security from a police force, hospitals for anyone, sanitation, shelter, heating, cooling, food, drink, etc. It's also the case that civilizations come and go. In other words, they collapse. They do so all the time at both a micro and a macro level. In terms of macro, it is the complete collapse of civil society. In a micro level, it's the collapse of your civil society. And it's that collapse that really matters to you personally because it's happening to you. So it hurts. Macro collapses can be the fall of something like the Western Roman Empire, but in many cases, even that one for the Western Empire, that collapse was many years in the making. It's not always sudden, but in the micro collapse, a civil war or a loss of income can end your personal civic life. The civilizing mission is a real thing. Civilizing mission. Very, very civilized peoples decided that they needed to spend their version or spread their version of civilization to the savages, the barbarians, and the primitive peoples. You know, the generally uncivilized, the uncivil, as well as other people from lesser civilizations. 
this symbolizing mission is the political rationale for military intervention and for colonization purposing to facilitate the modernization of indigenous peoples, especially in the period from 15th to 20th century. I urge you to listen to some of my older podcasts, in particular episode 41 on the Crusades. That's episode 41. The civilizing mission originated in Latin Christian theology of the Middle Ages, when European theologists applied the metaphor of human development to misrepresent social change as a law of nature. In the 18th century, Europeans saw history as a linear, inevitable, and perpetual process of sociocultural evolution led by capitalist Western Europe. In other words, the word is progressive. Progressive. If you're progressive, this is what you believe. You believe that your agenda and your beliefs are the beliefs that should be applied across the board. And it is for the benefit of the uncivilized or less civilized. The civilizing mission was also the cultural justification for colonial expansion, such as French Algeria, French Indochina, Portuguese Angola, uh, Portuguese Mozambique, etc., etc., etc. The civilizing mission was also a popular justification for not just Portuguese and French, but German, British, American colonialism. In the Russian Empire, it was also associated with the Russian conquest of Central Asia and the Russification, Russification, Russification of that region. The Western European colonial powers claimed that as Christian nations, Western civilization to have a duty to go and convert the hidden and primitive cultures of the Eastern world. But don't for a moment assume for a second even that only the most civil of Latin Christians wanted to spread their civil society to the uncivil. China wanted to, the Ottomans wanted to, the Russians wanted to, the Mughals wanted to, the Arabs wanted to, and they didn't have this crazy mission built into them. It's simply that most people felt that their own civilization was better than the other person's civilization. So, someone from the Chola Empire of Southern India may have felt that their civilization is better than, say, somebody else's, i.e. the Japanese civilization. And the Japanese would have felt that maybe theirs was more superior than the Cholas. Who knows? Mixed into all of this is the idea of ethnicity and race, etc. Now check out the episode I did on race for more. I'm not going to talk about it too much here. So the civil and the uncivil. What are you? Are you civilized? Or are you uncivilized? The Romans famously would civilize and pacify parts of their empire. That, of course, meant Romanize and subjugate the populations. Has much changed or has not anything changed at all? Humans are still at it. Look at the Americans. They love their freedom. So and so that they like spreading it to the savages in the Middle East. Southeast Asia, Africa, and so on. So it's not at all unusual behavior. And I think that the Latin Christians have a certain oomph and a flair to go the way or extreme ways that they go to civilize others. They go so far from their homeland to civilize or project power or whatever the geopolitical term used are these days. 
And as I said, it's not just the Latin Christians. Muslims have spent the better part of 1,000 years trying to convert people to their civil society. Buddhists, too, you name it, someone has tried it with one human crisis or another. Religion, nation, ideology, all of that is part of civilization. I don't want to leave you without a mind meld from me about what I think the basics of civilization are or should be. I think there are three critical components that are the basic or primary building blocks of civilization as I see it today. So the top three, in my view, are one, food. So food security is critical for survival and answered. Two, water. Clean, fresh water to live. All civilizations need that. And three, safety. Your person, that of your family and friends, should have protection from mental, physical violence. Women should be protected. If a society is finding it hard to protect women, i.e. half of their population, that is a serious black mark. Secondary level critical components, they are still critical, mind you, are shelter, i.e. a roof over your head, hygiene, meaning waste is taken care of in a sensible manner, healthcare, i.e. access to health services is vital. It does not mean that you have to have a UK-style national health service, but there needs to be access to healthcare and medicine in society, and it should be somewhat readily available when you need it. Third level, i.e. nice-to-have-ish components, would be three things again. One is jobs. A civilization must have the ability for its members to be gainfully occupied, leading to my second point here is money. The finances of a civil society must be stable. And number three, infrastructure, because that allows all other components of civilization to function. And then I have three big, but not critical signs of civilization. One is education, or as I say it, indoctrination. This is where you convince the population that they are part of that broader civilization. And then there are the arts. And in the arts, you must include things like science, theology, ideology, politics, ideas exchange, and so on. And then finally, I'm going to wrap up with exotic food and drink. I actually started my list with food and drink, but this is exotic food and drink. This is stuff you could have like strawberries in the winter or you can have meats that don't come from your region and things like that. And, and drinks that are fizzy drinks with flavors and things, just exotic foods. As you'll notice, all these items are not mutually exclusive. You can have bits and pieces here and there. In fact, in the same civilization, you could have one person go hungry on the streets while another has access to the fancy foods, all in the same neighborhood. All these points can be given to you or delivered into the civilization by different mechanisms. The government can do it. That's socialism. Markets can do it. That's capitalism. Or more likely, and for most people, it would be a hybrid, both together. Worshipping the god of capitalism or the religion of socialism is immaterial. The system must deliver the basics. 
That does not mean that you live in a mansion guarded by security, but it does matter that you are made to feel safe in your own home. History tells us that when people starve or when people are thirsty, when they have no food to eat and no shelter and no security, they go crazy. They riot. They do all kinds of weird and not so wonderful things. It's not civilized. So civilization, in my not-so-humble view, is somewhat also in the eye of the beholder. One person may think Orthodox Christianity is civilized. Others may think Shia Islam is civilized. Some may consider neither of those two are civilized. Or you could be from the English town of Liverpool, but move to live in Mumbai. Your mindset shifts and you jump into a new, a new, yes, new civilization. The reverse also happens when somebody from Mumbai can move to Liverpool. And this happens a lot. People move around a lot and people move multiple times. Many civilizers go native after they have invaded and defeated another civilization. The Kushans, when, for example, they invaded India, they themselves went native. They adopted Buddhism and lived and influenced the culture of Northern India at the time. At least that's what we assume happened. In the end, though, civilization is another human mental model, like religion, ideology, nation, tribe, culture, and so on. It lives in our minds. The fact that you even have the capacity, time, and access to opulent services like podcasts leads me to believe you are civilized. Ponder that for a moment. You are officially not a savage or barbarian. But before you jump to self-adoration and celebrate the fact that you're not primitive, remember, world wars are fought by civilized peoples. Genocide is conducted mostly by civilized peoples. That's it for this episode. Please like and follow the podcast. Please also recommend it to others. And all the best. Catch you all soon. Thank you so very much. Thank you.